Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on the home of Common Sense with yet another set of record figures. Bigger audience now than ever before on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Who uh, would be surprised by that? Certainly not me. Absolutely extraordinary. It is talk radio. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, thank you for continuing to listen and thank you uh, for telling more and more people to continue to listen because there's not much common sense going on out there. Uh, we've got it all here. It's the morning after the night before. We're all busy trying to work out whether we're worse off or better off after the Rishi Sunak spending splurge yesterday, making Britain into one of the world's highest tax nations. The Chancellor's £150 billion spree included more money for all government departments, more benefits, reductions on business rates and cheaper booze for some bizarre reason. But hang on, where's he getting all the money from? Oh yeah, he's getting it from us. The tax burden for us all is soon going to be uh, 36.2% apparently, which seems like quite a lot of money. That means you've basically got to work for a third of the year before you can keep any of it. That's not very good, is it? Rishi said yesterday he didn't want the government to have to be responsible for everything that goes wrong in society, and on that we agree. But if you'd known that you were going to have to pay more tax so that lots of people could be told to stay at home and not bother working, you might have been slightly less in favour of the lockdown, mind you. So we'll talk about that. More money for the NHS as well. So we'll be counting down to see how soon those waiting lists start diminishing. I had a quick look uh, as I walked past Guy's Hospital today. Um, It doesn't look as if anything's changed. Uh, People are still queuing up. People are still going in and out. I don't see any difference, really. Uh, somehow, I think it's going to take a while. John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent, is here to help navigate us through it all. But the bottom line is, does anybody actually care anymore about budgets? Because people are not that interested. That's the point. We need to hear from you. 0344 499 1000. If you are running a business, particularly, uh, do you feel like you're going to be better in the next 12 months or worse? Let's find out. Here's one to warm the cockles of your heart. John Lewis have cancelled their own advert. The wokists have gone unwoke, apparently. You know the one with the spoiled brat who wreaks havoc in the family home dressed as a little girl? They've decided it might be misleading for their home insurance claims department. Just like we said it was. Because actually, if you made the claim, you wouldn't get paid. We made them planks of the week. It's another victory for the Independent Republican Mike Graham. 0344 499 1000. There will be more concrete news as well. We've been contacted by an American company, right, that does, you guessed it, grow concrete. <laughs> So we'll be talking to them in the course of time. And because it's Thursday, Helena Nicklin is here with a post-budget Thursday club hangover. I don't know if she's bringing any fizz, but it'll be cheaper than it was yesterday. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, with our biggest listening figures ever on the Home of Common Sense. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thank you very much indeed to Julia Hartley Brewer for coming back from her holiday so I could have a nice lie-in today until 7am, uh, which is the first time I've ever said anything like that. God, getting up at quarter to five is definitely not for me. But John Rental is here. Uh, very good morning and welcome. Good morning. To the brave new world of uh, Rishi Sunak's budget. I can't actually work out whether it's good or bad, this budget, because it was so heavily trailed. And yeah. then when it was announced, it was not really particularly surprising. And yet, I still can't really decide whether well, it's whether it's any good. Well, that's because the main uh, main event took place in September um, when they when the uh, prime minister and the chancellor decided to put up uh, national insurance contributions to pay for the NHS. That was the budget, uh, right there. That was the decision that mattered, uh, and that was railroaded through uh, cabinet and parliament very quickly. Mm. And uh, yesterday was uh, was a tidying up exercise and a, a sort of uh, a forward planning exercise for uh, public spending right. uh, in other departments. And that was that was quite generous. I mean, that was, it was it was significant. Right. Um, but beyond that, it was uh, you can understand why people wouldn't pay much attention because it's mostly about what's going to happen over the next three years. Also, I wonder whether the, the, the course of the pandemic has also led people into this kind of miasma about about the whole idea of budgets anyway and the whole well, idea of money. You know, money doesn't really matter anymore. I mean, I was at a, <laughs> a thing last night with the um, Institute of Economic Affairs and they were sort of asking for my take on the budget. And I said, to be honest, it's all kind of washed over me. Well, I exactly. Really, I mean, it doesn't really mean anything anymore. Yeah, I mean, if you'd, if you'd said, you know, that the, the, the government would, uh, would would spend four hundred billion pounds that it didn't have yeah. uh, to deal with the, with the pandemic, then uh, people would have looked at you. Um, and especially when uh, it was a conservative government. I mean, this this is a conservative government responding to a pandemic in the way that you would uh, you would expect a Labour government right. to, to do by uh, by pumping money into the economy, keeping mm. people in work. Very, I mean, all all the right things to do. I think uh, broadly speaking. Uh, but it's uh, it's a surprise to have a Conservative government doing it and uh, surprise to have a Conservative government trying to take the credit for it yeah. and also claim to be a, a party that wants to cut taxes. Well, I mean, it's a bit like Boris Johnson saying, I really don't like locking everybody down, but but I feel I have to do it. Well, Rishi exactly. saying, I really don't like taxing anybody, but here's a load more tax. Yeah, that's that right. And I, and I really don't like borrowing, but uh, I've just borrowed uh, you know more money than anybody could possibly right. imagine. Uh, and and then he claims then he claims in the budget that uh, borrowing is down and uh, and ta and taxes are down. Right. I mean, you know, it's because nobody can really tell the difference anymore. I don't think because I was listening to a conversation this morning um, between a couple of analysts who were saying that this is the kind of thing that uh, George Osborne used to mock Gordon Brown for doing. Yes, absolutely. Well, so it's kind of the, the situations have been sort of reversed. Well, they? Very, very Gordon Brown touches in that, yeah. in a lot of this budget, especially the, the the whole business of double counting and 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 rolling up cumulative totals over several years in order to make them sound sound uh, better right uh, very gordon brown sort of techniques but mm. i mean the broad broad picture is that this is a this this is a uh, a labor budget delivered by a conservative mm. chancellor which is which is what i think the general public actually wants i suppose so and from what julia hartley brew was just saying to me she said it seems as though they're kind of going it'll be all right in the future don't worry about it but you know that's all very well easy for them to say um but we probably should worry about it shouldn't we what the the the, the, well, level the of when debt, the chickens the... come home to roost when well, when all of the money that they don't have they realise you well, know when they get to you know next year and they go oh we haven't got any more money yeah. what are we going to do oh uh, better find some more money uh, how are we going to do that oh I know we'll make some cuts uh, and then they'll go all the way up to the next election cycle and then they'll give us a tax break well the well yeah the ga the gamble is that uh, th that this will prevent. Uh, Labour calling calling this austerity. Yes, uh, it won't, of course, because I mean they'll they'll do that anyway. But actually, if if you've got a real term spending increase in 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 all departments, then I think I think the Conservatives have got a chance of shedding the uh, the Cameron Osborne 
uh, inheritance. And this, this is this is the other thing that Rishi Sunak and, and, and Boris Johnson are so good at. Mm. Um, saying, you know, saying we don't know who's been in charge for the past ten years, but they were a bunch of shysters <laughs> and they really they really ran the country into the ground. And now yeah. now we're sorting it out. Yeah. Well, I just said actually again last night. Um, to Mark Littlewood, I said, um, you know, Boris Johnson's making David Cameron look like a great visionary and an incredible sort of, you know, ideologue. He doesn't appear to have any ideology at all. He doesn't appear to have any vision at all, apart from this green agenda that he's going up to COP26, which nobody else is going to. I mean, you know, the only people who are going to be there are the SNP and a load of rats. Well, no, but a green, a green agenda gives him a sort of forward-looking... Uh, take. It gives uh, him a which, raison d'etre, but it, all it means is it's more money that he's asking for people to spend, isn't it? Well, and that was the big, uh, the big argument before the budget, I think, um, between uh, between Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak, because uh, Boris Johnson reverted to prime ministerial type. He wanted to splash the splash the cash on yeah. on green measures, whereas Rishi Sunak, obviously, um, as the Treasury. Uh, wants to wants to try and control that. And yeah. they, they ended they ended up with a sort of a, a sort of compromise. They'll be they'll put they'll put taxes up on on gas bills, but not electricity bills in future. Yes. which which is designed to sort of nudge us um, into into a greener greener way of living. Yes, and I suppose it was. I mean, if you were looking at it, you wouldn't have said basically that it's a, it's a particularly green budget. That wasn't no. The focus it wasn't, on it, was well, it? well, cutting tax on no. uh, on uh, domestic uh, mm. flights was not was 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 not green. No, no. that's that's true. But it is. I thought it was a very centre ground budget because it is uh, it's Brexity Blairism. Um, it's uh, you know Rishi Sunak was trying several times to claim that you know I'm, I'm only able to do this because we've left the European Union. I mean, it was trivial stuff yes. like like reforming um, alcohol tax. Mm. Uh, but it, you know, it goes down well with the uh, with 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 the Leave voters, and of course the Labour Party response was less important perhaps than it should have been, not least because their leader is once again out of action. Well, well except it always comes as a surprise to people when uh, when it's the leader of the opposition who replies to the budget. Yeah, because uh, that's that's the convention. And mm. um, people say, well, you know, why shouldn't the shadow chancellor do it? But right. um, so uh, Keir Starmer managed to dodge the uh, the most difficult assignment in in British politics, which is which is responding to something you haven't seen, something <laughs> really big and complicated right. in, the, in the House of Commons. It's all about money and, and, and economics and difficult stuff. Um, and was able to to, to leave uh, Rachel Rees. I mean, is he all right? It. I mean, just a serious question, I suppose, for a moment before we make well, too much light of it. Is he okay? Because well, presumably he's double jabbed. If he's got COVID, it shouldn't be a problem for him. Well, all all I know is what he said in a video posted last night, where he said, "I'm fine." Right. Um, so presumably he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have symptoms. And he must be the most positive person in Britain, mustn't he? Well, this he's is been the off fifth time. This, this is the fifth time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm clearly uh, either he's in a very high risk area, <laughs> and I know his wife works for the NHS, but she's a lawyer, isn't she? I don't think she actually works in hospital wards. No, indeed. But he does have uh, he does have uh, young children. I mean, children at school. Yeah. Um, well, not at the moment. Yeah, they're, well, they're all off on half term. Yeah. So I mean, I don't I mean know. but yeah. he meets a lot of people. I mean, these well, politicians. I mean, Boris Boris Johnson's had to had to isolate several times. Yeah. I mean, three or four times. Yeah. Not, one not more, one more time than he wanted to. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That famous Sunday morning U-turn, which is probably the quickest of all of them. Well, uh, absolutely, which even for him was quite remarkable. And Keir Starmer obviously couldn't risk that, so he had to ju- he had to just just follow the rules. So I mean, it just it it shows you know if if you are engaged in politics, you have to meet a lot of people. You're you're likely to get uh, you're likely to get pinged. Yes. Now the big I suppose the thing to look for now is Sunday. It starts on Sunday, the COP twenty six uh, thing, doesn't it? Um, and now the Queen's not going. Uh, neither is the president of China. Neither is the prime minister of India. Neither is um, Putin. Putin, and neither is yeah. the president of Brazil, Bolsonaro, right. uh, who I think I was reading the other day might be being prosecuted for something, but I'm not quite sure about that. <laughs> um, there's also.
also an fascinating, I don't know if you've seen this this morning, I haven't really had a chance to properly look at it, but there's a big row going on in America because the Wall Street Journal have published a letter from Donald Trump um, about how the election was stolen. Oh, God. And so, of course, the murder organisation is now being accused of all sorts of things. But, but I mean, there's a lot going on. But Joe Biden's coming, of course, as well. He's Joe Biden is he's coming. He's probably the biggest name that's going to be there, isn't he? Well, and and the biggest. I mean, he is the head of the biggest, uh, the biggest country uh, that, that, that contributes to global warming. That, yes. is, that is going to be there. I mean, right. China actually contributes more uh, now. But I mean, the fact that China and India are not going to be there is uh, is hugely significant because yes. I mean the whole point of this UN summit is you know when people say well what's the point of us of us uh, us Brits going to going to net zero as we only contribute mm. you know 1% or 2% of uh, of global emissions what's the, what's the point of that i mean the whole point is that you know we can use our leadership role to to get the country get the countries of the world together get the leaders together and get them to get them all to agree uh, but if if China and India are not part of it, then it's then it's it's not it's, it's not worthless. Pointless. But it's a well, lot I mean, I less. Think, it's worth a lot less than it would otherwise. I think be. it's worthless anyway because all it really is is a talking shop. But they're going to take an awfully long time to come out with some agreed, pre-agreed statement, which is going to say we promise to do something in the future, which, well, as we know from politicians, is not really worth the papers written on. Well, that's not true. I mean, there has been there has been huge progress. Um, in well, not really. There's been progress in as much as thirty countries have turned to now eighty countries who have said that they might. Do something in the future. No, no. The, That's if you, all it is. No, if you look at the project at the, at the graph, I think it was on the front page of the of the New York Times. There was, you know, how how uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions were projected to to keep rising. Right. Uh, they're not now projected to keep rising. They're they're projected to sort of flatten off. Mm. Um, and they have and 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 they've you know they've dropped below where they where they were. Um, but, but that's not enough. I mean, right. they've got to they've got to come well, right. Well, there was a piece in the Times right yesterday that greenhouse gases are now at their highest uh, since about three billion years ago. Well, they would be. Yeah. Well, um, so because <laughs> the they're still going, they're well, still going up, but they're not going up as fast as they as yeah. As, but as I mean, if they were. were that high three billion years ago, what was causing that? That was volcanoes and stuff. I see volcanoes and stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, we still have volcanoes and stuff. Yeah, well, so maybe we can't do anything. No, but, no, but no, no. The composition of the atmosphere has, has changed over the years. This this is a very sharp change as, as a result of human human activity over the over the past hundred years. Right, a very short period of time. Which, which is which is a which is a blink of an eye. It is a blink of an eye. Yeah, I mean, in, as somebody in, once pointed out, if you stretch both your arms out like that, since the, the time that the people on this, have been on this planet is about the same length yeah. as your pinky. Finger That's now. the point. And so if you've, if you've... So the idea that we can somehow influence what has happened before or in the future, it's nonsensical. No, it? no, it's not. No, 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 not at all. I mean, that's the whole point is that in that in that blink of an eye, we've increased the uh, we've increased the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere uh, hugely. And we've got to do something about it. OK, well, we're not arguing about the climate because that's not what we do here at uh, Talk Radio. <laughs> we are the home of common sense after all. After and, all. And uh, we've got many more important things to talk about, including what I want to ask you about coming up, actually, is this uh, possible referendum request on net zero, which I think is fascinating. It's a YouGov poll, and I know how you like YouGov we polls. I thought we weren't talking about I know how you, change. No, well, it's, it's about a YouGov poll. I know how you love <laughs> to quote polls because they obviously represent public opinion. Uh, John Rensel is here, uh, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. We'll have more uh, coming next on Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. John Rental is here with us as well. We're talking about COP26, and I suppose uh, you can't really mention Glasgow without mentioning the SNP 
who haven't had a great week, have they? Um, they've been trying to make out that there were no rats in uh, Glasgow, which turns out not to be the case. They've had a bin strike going on, which I think they're in the process of either solving or, or clearing the streets of anyway. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people in Scotland are not very happy that they, you know, they've basically closed off loads of roads. You can't go anywhere. They want to make it possible. People have had um, uh, operations cancelled on the NHS in order to uh, keep the roads free for all these dignitaries that are yeah. coming. So, I mean, it's a bit of a nightmare. It's a bit like when I used to live in New York and the UN on the east side of town was always a nightmare because whenever any president from any country visited, the whole of the city was kind of locked down. You couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> well, yeah, and, but it's supposed to be a showcase uh, of, uh, of of wonderful Scotland and, and Glasgow is a wonderful city. Right, Scotland's uh, but, a wonderful country. But it's Unfortunately, been... it's run by the SNP. It's got an SNP council over the past four years uh. who've, who've managed to who've managed to mismanage it yes. uh, so badly. That Although, to be fair, Glasgow City Hall uh, has always been badly managed. I mean, I could take well, you back no, to th- a few other... Uh, Certainly, interesting incumbents. Who have I thought. I thought. I thought the Labour Party ran it ran it quite well until until four years ago. Yeah. However, um, you know the SNP the SNP uh, the SNP leader of the council uh, blames Margaret Thatcher for the fact that uh, um, that, that Glasgow's in a bit of a sorry state. Which is an which interesting is... Um, state of affairs, isn't it? Since they've had devolution really for quite some, <laughs> quite some decades now. Well, and also, you know, I mean, obviously Margaret Thatcher did do some terrible things and you know hasn't been forgiven in places like Liverpool and uh, well, other big forgiven, cities she's that been were... forgiven in northeast of England hasn't she I mean the old mining communities will vote Tory well indeed indeed but I mean uh, there's the lot there was a lot of uh, inner city decline yeah uh, that, that you but the could, great you thing about door, yeah, but the but... great thing about Margaret Thatcher uh, haters is that most of the inner city decline took took place in labor constituencies because Scotland used to be very strongly labor and yeah, actually but... the people in Scotland have turned on labor far more than they've turned on anybody yeah. and that's why Labour now don't have any Scottish seats well but the Tories don't have um, well, they never don't did, have many though. Scottish seats but they never did well they did they did before um, before Margaret Thatcher's time now I um, mean they were never uh, there was never a stronghold for the Tories was it I mean whereas Labour really can't get into government without Scotland and now well, so no which reason they never will it was before I was born Mike but I mean th- there was a time when the, when the Tories actually had a majority of the vote in Scotland in the 1950s but... well that doesn't really count <laughs> I mean that was when we last had so much tax that we were paying uh, apparently we've gone back to the 50s uh, in terms of the tax uh, that we are now having to give to the exchequer no, <laughs> well I mean, indeed it was a very different time i mean seriously it, it you was. can't i don't think you can compare politically or socially britain from the 1950s to now it's just not even no. it's not even the same country no and, and scotland is a very different country mm. and and the collapse of the labor party in scotland and its replacement by the snp yeah. is a huge uh, is is a huge thing and um, very for for people who want to keep the country together like me uh, a very worrying development, but uh, but, but the SNP, I I feel, is weaker now than it's ever been in it, government. I do feel that, uh, that that Nicola Sturgeon is desperately treading water now, yeah. uh, because she can't make any progress. Because I mean, it's, it's definitely the old water lapping around the ankle scenario, isn't it? Well, exactly, and you know, time is time is marching on, mm. and you know, we're now seven years from from the unsuccessful referendum. Yeah, um, and. I can see a UK government holding out against the demand for another referendum, you know, pretty I'm much indefinitely. I'm not even sure they want one yet. Well, they, I don't they think they'd they, they, win it. They wouldn't necessarily win it. No. Absolutely. I mean, if you ask a fair question uh, in an opinion poll, yeah. I, mean, I know I know how much you like opinion polls, Mike, but yes. if you ask the fair like question... some opinion polls. If you ask a fair question in Scotland, do you want to leave the UK or remain in the UK? Yeah. 
uh, model it on the Brexit question, mm. then you get a huge, uh, huge majority for, for remaining part yeah. of the UK. Yeah, exactly right. Because they can't make the argument, and they haven't made the argument yet, that they would be better off outside of it. No, well, they, they wouldn't. <laughs> well, they wouldn't well, be. They wouldn't Everybody be. knows well, that. Exactly. I mean, obviously, I mean, in the short term, they wouldn't. I mean, maybe, you know, like, uh, uh, like Brexiteers claim, you know, in the long, in the long run, you'll be better off. But uh, that's, that's pie in the sky. Well, we're already better off here, aren't we, after leaving the EU? Surely you can make that <laughs> argument. Lorry drivers are getting paid more money. People's well, uh, wages are going up. Well, they're not, not, not yet. Well, they are. They've just raised the wage uh, yesterday, haven't they? The minimum wage. Yeah. Well, that's, that doesn't take effect uh, yet. But I mean, Yeah, but the yeah. point is, is that that's the direction of travel. We're now paying more money to people because the cheap labour that was here is no longer available. Well, you, you, we, of course, we're, we're, we're starting a wage price spiral of inflation. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's, that's not necessarily a good thing. Well, it's Mike. a good thing for people but, to be paid more money, though, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah. Until, typical uh, socialist, you want to until keep inflation, the poor. Poor. <laughs> until inflation poor. takes it away from them. Right. Uh, no, I don't. I want to keep the uh, the twenty pounds a week uh, universal credit uplift. But yeah. There we go. Well, I mean, they did a bit of a U-turn on that yesterday. Let's talk about this net zero um, poll, though, because I just, as you say, we both like polls. Uh, some of them more than others, but a YouGov poll, which basically showed taking out the don't knows, fifty-eight percent of people want. A referendum on net zero because an awful yeah. lot of people in this country i know it's hard to believe living in you know the sort of ivory towers of london that there are people outside of london who actually don't care yeah. about climate change don't want to pay more money as no. a result of going green Absolutely. And, and have not in any way given permission for the government to, to go headlong for this net zero madness well except they did all vote for parties that uh, yes that, but that's that not how committed they see it i agree and I, th I think it's a very significant poll and i think it's very important and i think I think uh, people who 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 want who, who care about climate change ought to take it seriously because the point is that if you if if I mean nobody's actually suggesting holding a referendum on 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 net zero but but the point is that if you did and you can't be sure you're going to mm. win it then there's something wrong with your case. Well, that's right, and I think the point is, is it, what it will do is it will it will become a political movement because there's a lot of people out there looking for a cause yeah. uh, with which to threaten the Tories with, not necessarily about um, winning elections or, or winning even seats from them, but yeah. just causing little cracks in in the Conservatives' kind of um, hegemony, if you like, because the, the, the Tories think they're now un, unassailable. Well, and they, and they think they can do what they like. <laughs> However, and I get an awful lot of people on this station saying to me, "We'll never vote Tory again because we don't like what they're doing." Yeah, well, they're not reflected in the opinion polls yet, but not uh, yet. But, but they will be. Uh, but because we've got a couple of by-elections coming up, which might prove to be interesting. Yeah. Um, there will be people, I would imagine, in those by-elections who might decide to say, "Well, okay, maybe what we'll do uh, is we'll side with these people and we'll, we'll ask some questions." Well, and it's also worth remembering that you know Brexit started as an agitation in the Conservative Party for a referendum, mm. um, and so you know you could see how and, you know, and, and always be aware of people who say, "Oh." I don't think we'll have a referendum, shall we? Because, you know, <laughs> look what happened then. Because, I mean, the, the point is that the demand for a referendum is 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 hard to resist mm. because it's democratic. Yes. Um, but also and, the question, I was talking to somebody about this last night, difficult to know what the question would be. Because if the question is, um, do you wish to uh, attain net zero in the economy? If the answer's no, yeah. what does that then mean? Well, it means you. The, you well, what do you do? You though? then repeal the the yes, act which yes. commits us but does to that mean uh, achieving that, but, yeah, net but does zero. Does that mean that you you go a little bit towards it, or you don't go anywhere near it, or you go the other way? I mean, what? Well, yeah, but I mean that's a second order question, isn't it? I mean, the question the question is, uh, you know, can you make a a case for net zero yeah. which is capable of winning a referendum? Yeah. And if you can't do that, then then I think you've got to ask yourself some difficult yeah. questions about how you, how you how to persuade people. And one way not to persuade people, obviously, is is the extinction rebellion mm. uh, route. I think which is which is likely to to increase opposition to. Yes. 
to to what they want. Right. Um, and I think you've got to you've got to look very carefully at how how you make the case yeah. and and learn from the lessons of the of, of the Remain campaign, which just assumed that they could win that argument. Yeah, absolutely right. Fascinating stuff. Well, we'll talk more about this, I'm sure. John, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we'll see you again soon. John Rental there with his take on the budget and all things to do with net zero and many other things. COP26 coming up. I can't believe it's going to be sunny. I think it's going on for a, a week or maybe more. What are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? For God's sake. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, uh, one big story that uh, has come across us at the desk this morning, of course, is the continuing, um, what can only be described as uh, obsessiveness of the French, uh, who have been given plenty of fishing licences to fish in the English Channel, uh, but they want more. And they're now threatening people, saying, if we don't get any more, what we might do is blockade all sorts of ports. We might blockade the Channel Tunnel. We might stop exports going out of Britain into Europe. And we might also cut off, once again, as they they, they threatened to do before, uh, the electricity supply and the power supply to the Channel Islands. Let's talk to Ben Habib, businessman, former MEP, chairman of Brexit Watch as well. Ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Uh, is this more sabre rattling by the French? I mean, they don't seem to be able to quite get over this, do they? No, I, I don't think it's sabre rattling. I think they're deadly serious. You know, there's a presidential election coming up next year in um, in France, and Macron can't be seen to be letting the fishermen down. So, even though this dispute, which any reasonable-minded person would regard as a mountain out of a molehill, only relates to 35 fishing licenses uh, as part of something like 1,700 licenses in total that the British government's handed out. Even though it only relates to 35 licenses, Macron will stick firm on this, and he will do what he's done in the past many times, which is link it to other geopolitical issues, such as the Northern Ireland Protocol, refusing to give way um, on other issues to get his way for his fishermen. Yes, because, I mean, the, the fact remains that, that, that we've given several hundred, I think, licences and, and they want a few hundred more. Uh, what difference would that make to us and what difference would it make to them? The, the dispute, actually, Mike, is only over 35 licences. And right. we've issued, to, to, to France alone, something approaching 800 licences. So that puts the con- you know, mm. puts that into, into context. Um no, the issue here is the French election coming up next year. The French fishermen, like their agricultural sector, are incredibly robust in, in their political, um, uh, you know, political views and the way they express themselves. And what Macron does not want is trouble going into that election, feeding Mary Le Pen's um, uh, campaign, if you like. And he will stand firm. And he's already said he's going to block British boats, British trucks. He's already detained a, a trawler. And frankly, Mike, the British reaction has been pathetic. Mm. Lord Frost's response is almost as if he's delivered it over a cup of tea and cucumber sandwiches, saying that he finds the French action disappointing and disproportionate. I mean, yeah. the French must be laughing all the way to their harbours with that sort of response. We've got to be much more re- robust. Lord Frost has got to, be, has got to stop being Lord Timid and take some proper action. Right. You know, for example... Well, they've detained a trawler, for heaven's sake. I mean, you know, that's not messing around, is it? That's not messing around. They've, they've, they've effectively impounded a British ship. Normally, that sort of thing gives rise to a massive diplomatic bust-up mm. at the very least. Um, and, you know, we should be banning French boats from our waters until they come to heel. Yeah. 
Absolutely right. Because, you know, in the end, I mean, I was listening to uh, an anti-Brexiteer, I'm going to call them now, rather than a, a Remainer, um, saying, oh, well, the thing is, Britain and the Brexit policy has made us a lot of enemies in Europe. Really? Well, I'm sorry. You know, we run as a sovereign country. Uh, we are not part of the European Union. We are not in any way obliged to do whatever they want us to do. Uh, and that's the way it is, I'm afraid. You don't like it, you lump it. Absolutely right. Well, all we did was exercise our democratic right to leave in accordance with the terms of the of the treaties of the European Union. We did nothing um, to damage the EU other than exercise our rights. It's just that they're so desperate to keep us tethered to their export machine that is Germany that they wanted to hold us as close as possible for as long as possible. Mm. And actually, the deal that we did with the European Union gave them these fishing rights. You know, it's Lord Frost's fault that they have these rights to come into our waters. Mm. If Lord Frost had done what the Prime Minister repeatedly said he would do, which is take back full control of our territorial waters, the French wouldn't have a leg to stand on in this in this dispute. Mm. They just have to leave our waters. That would be it. I mean, do you think they're looking for some kind of way out of this by means of a sort of, um, you know, an arbitration board being appointed by the European Union so that they could go to them and say, well, look, this is not fair and this is what we want and the British should abide by whatever decision that the arbitrators make. Is that what they're trying to get to? Well, I, you know, under the Trade and Cooperation Agreement, actually the European Union can issue sanctions against the UK ahead of an arbitration process. I think what Macron is doing is leveraging the EU into taking action against the against the United Kingdom. And he's already said he's going to do it through the protocol. If he can levy sanctions, he'll do that as well. But this is definitely him playing to the electorate in advance of the presidential election. Mm, absolutely. You know, complete, fear, complete fear of his fishermen, as, as, as all French governments have been and will forever remain. Yes. It's just our government. It's just our government that doesn't give a damn about our fishermen. That's well, what's important here. Well, that's the thing. I mean, our governments over over years, over decades, in fact, have allowed the fishing industry in this country to be depleted by a sort of factor of 10, decimated, you might say. And people Definitely. have just let it happen. And the reason why we don't fish as much of our own waters as we, we should do is because we simply haven't had the boats, have we? We haven't had the boats. We haven't had the investment. And think of it this way, Mike. You know, we've got COP26 coming up at the end of this week. But the biggest natural resource that the United Kingdom has at its doorstep is its territorial waters for fishing. Mm. And we're letting the French and the European Union, forgive me for using evocative words, but we're letting them rape our waters because that is what they're mm. doing. They're coming in with their massive trawlers, their industrialized sized boats, dredging up the seabed, killing everything that they uh, come into contact with, electrif electrifying fish, indiscriminately. I mean, everything they do in our waters is environmentally damaging. So I don't know how the Prime Minister can in good heart go to COP26 and talk about the environment when he hasn't stood up for British fish, let alone British fishermen. Yeah, exactly right. And what must British fishermen think and, and, and fishing organisations in this country think that if the French, you know, take your, your boat by force, the government will not stand up for you? Won't stand up. Well, we've seen it again and again with the French. You know, they're sending over illegal immigrants. They're aiding and abetting. We've got footage of French policemen standing aside mm. as these boats are launched into British waters. Yeah. And what do we do? Two halves of nothing. And that's effectively what Lord Frost's response is to a, a British boat being impounded. He thinks it's disappointing and <laughs> disproportionate. I, I, I have to laugh. I know. Because, you know, what sort of response is that? <laughs> 
Well, the it's French ridiculous. I mean, if it was me, I'd say, well, why don't you just pull all the other uh, licenses that you've given out and say, well, you can't Absolutely. have those either. Uh, pull the licenses. Get all their boats out of our water. And if, and if that results in an all mega diplomatic bust up, so be yeah. it. Tell them to reapply. The tell them to reapply for the license. But unfortunately, we won't be offering as many as we were. Uh, well, you might get ten percent of what you did have, or you can back off. Absolutely right. Unless and until the British government is prepared to stand up for the United Kingdom, and the the EU will go on taking the Mickey. Yeah, they've of done they will. through the Brexit process. They did it in the agreement that we signed up with them, and they're doing it post the agreement. And I don't want to go back to Northern Ireland Protocol, even though that is my pet subject. Well, I was going to ask you what the latest is on that, actually. Yeah, well, the latest is that Lord Frost has hunkered down with the with his opposite number, Maros Sefcovic, to try and negotiate a settlement. But there will be no negotiated settlement with which we will be happy in the United Kingdom. They will not give up the supremacy of their courts over Northern Ireland. They just won't do it. They've mm. got us over a barrel. The only thing that we can do, at least as a temporary measure, is to invoke Article 16 with a view to then ditching the protocol. But we won't do that either because Lord Frost hasn't got the courage to do it. Mm. He says that we've got the right to do it. And just to remind listeners, Article 16 is basically a mechanism that allows the United Kingdom to pull a ripcord to save Northern Ireland if the protocol is doing its societal and economic damage, if it's transferring trade from Great Britain to, Northern, uh, to, to Ireland. And we have evidence of all of that. Lord Frost admits that we have the right to invoke Article 16. Well, if we have the right to invoke it, it's only because Northern Ireland is suffering. And if Northern Ireland is suffering, he has an obligation to invoke Article 16. It's not a thing that he can dilly-dally over. It's actually gross negligence on the part of the people of Northern Ireland that our government hasn't taken action. And it's that kind of timidity that will encourage the French to hold firm on fishing to hold firm on the level playing field, to hold firm on the protocol. We, we need a government that's prepared to stand up for the United Kingdom. Mm, absolutely right. Couldn't have put it better myself. Ben, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Habib, businessman, former Brexit Party MEP and chairman of Brexit Watch. Because let's face it, uh, Ben is absolutely right. There's no point in bending uh, to the will of the French. There is no point in giving them any quarter whatsoever. There is no point uh, in saying, oh, we're terribly sorry that we haven't given you everything you've asked for. Uh, so let's uh, just sit down and talk about it. Please don't take any more of our ships hostage. Absolute nonsense. Go and get the ship back, go and get the fishing boat back and tell them that all of the licences that have been previously issued to them are now revoked. Au revoir, abianto, see you next week. This is Talk Radio. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it is that time of the week. It's Thursday, so there are two things that happen on a Thursday. We have the Thursday Club, where we quaff some wine, uh, albeit slightly cheaper than it was yesterday. And we also talk to Helen Dale, writer, lawyer, political commentator. Helen, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Well, I've had quite an interesting week, you may have noticed, on the old uh, yes. Twitter scale of you uh, are no madness. longer You are no longer Iron Mike. <laughs> you are concrete Mike. Yes. Well, to be honest, I never was Iron Mike. People mistake my handle as I-R-O-M-G, as Iron Mike. I've never been Iron Mike. That's Mike Tyson. I-R-O-M-G, of course, stands for the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. But I do have to say um, that the paucity of imagination and the kind of pedestrian nature of people's minds, particularly when they all have groupthink about something that I've said, is quite disappointing, really. I've, I've been staggered by the numbers of people who fail to see what is going on. Just think of the money. <laughs> think of the extra <laughs> listing figures, which you were happily boasting about earlier. Yes. Just seriously, just think of the, in this case, commercial radio, Think of the bottom line. Indeed. Black ink on the bottom line. Indeed. And also, rather pleasantly, I've found a, a company that got in contact with me, actually, um, from the United States of America, because obviously this has gone completely global. We've got nearly 11. Yes, it has. Nearly 11. In fact, apparently I was trending in Australia. People were talking about yes. it down there. Um, <laughs> as well as Ireland, as well as the US, Canada, all over the place, right? Apparently, um, there is a company, and we're going to speak to them tomorrow, and they've been in touch to say that they actually do grow concrete, and it's a new method of trying to create what is regarded as uh, more um, sort of environmentally friendly building materials. And so it is a thing. I have to say, I was my approach to the whole thing as it was burning Twitter to the ground because people were tweeting at me because you retweeted one of my things and nobody was interested in my little whatever it was like coming out of my mouth. It was all you. They were all tweeting at you and eventually I just muted the thread because they weren't talking about whatever David Amos or whatever it was we were chatting about yeah. last week. Right. And, but I did learn a little bit. And the thing is, I used to actually practice in construction law areas as mm. a solicitor, but obviously for, very much from the solicitor end, not from the carrying bricks end. Yes. And so that was, I thought, there's, with Twitter, which is such a Marmite experience, is it, you know, you can, is this a problem or an opportunity to learn? So I took it as an opportunity to learn. Mm. But that's because you have a broad mind, Helen. So many people on Twitter who have been uh, all over the place accusing me of being the thickest man that's ever walked the earth um, are actually so moronic that they don't see any irony in that statement at all because they work inside a very small box 
out of which there are apparently no windows and they can't see yes. anything outside of their own and little world. And also humour is bad. This is the oh, yeah. other problem. It's this general problem of the war on whimsy. Yes. Uh, I've, I've written a piece for an outlet which we can talk about next week and the headline is literally the war on whimsy. Right. Uh, people just coping very poorly with humour from mm. anybody, even whether even if it's from a protester. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to be entertained or amused anymore. No, it is quite remarkable. Oh, they do want to be given money. They do want to be given money, though. (laughs) Oh, but they and they also do want to use anybody making fun of them as a possible way uh, of getting compensation. That's what I wanted to talk to you about uh, before we get to the budget, actually. Um, And this is a Liverpudlian bus driver who was fine. Now you might not remember Harry Enfield. I don't know whether you were around in this part of the world when Harry Enfield was a big star on television. And he was very funny. Did a lot of really good sketches. And he had these um, uh, three scousers, as he called them who had sort of ridiculous wigs on and moustaches and would and would say all sorts of things all the time, like, calm down, calm down, uh, which was very much a Liverpudlian thing. Uh, this guy apparently claims that he was uh, uh, the victim of racism when his Scottish boss, uh, when he was a bus driver, mimicked that particular um, sort of little joke. Um, and he's lost the case, I'm so glad to say, because it means that maybe some normality has been re- restored to the world. Maybe jokes are funny. Maybe. Like the sign outside the Dave Chappelle protest. So there was this one, there was one bloke who was a counter protester holding the sign going, Dave is funny. <laughs> and someone else was going, jokes are funny. Yeah. You know? Well, my favourite, my favourite comment on, on that was somebody who was in fact demonstrating against Dave Chappelle, who said, but comedy doesn't have to be mean. And it's like, well, hang on, mate. You know, comedy doesn't have to be what you want it to be either. You know, who gave you the sort of comedy crown to say comedy shouldn't be mean? Of course, comedy should be mean. That's the whole point of it. It's actually very difficult to do completely anodyne comedy. I used to know because it's it's come over here. You've seen Bananas in Pajamas, which is the ABC show in yes. Australia. I used to know, and that's become popular over here the same way Peppa Pig has become popular in the US. Mm. I used to know one of the writers for Bananas in Pajamas. And he maintained it was the hardest writing gig, script writing gig he had ever done because you weren't allowed to have conflict between B1 and B2. They couldn't joke at each other's expense. Uh, There were all these extraordinary rules in order to make this kids television show suitable for consumption for children. Right. No problem. Peppa Pig and Bananas and Pajamas are great kids shows. That's terrific. But the point is the rest of us aren't children Mm. and we have to learn to stop behaving like children. And I say this having read the article about the Harry Enfield gag and there was a photo of the Scousers with their enormous hair. And I mean, I look, I mean, admittedly, mine is longer and it's very thick, so it hangs down. But I've got hair like that naturally. Right. But if this I was, cut my this hair was, off, this when was... it was short, I looked like I was wearing a poodle on my head. Yeah. Well, this this was very much a thing. It was very it was very popular with footballers as well. That was a perm, mm. a sort of the look of the perm in the, the sort of late seventies, early eighties, mm. and the shell suit when you would see people getting on planes wearing shell suits. That was the first time yes. that sort of thing happened. And, and it was very much like all stereotypes. It was based on a stereotype, which actually mm. was true. Well, stereotype accuracy is a thing. It's the, the running joke about psychology is the two bits of it that are actually true and replicate reliably are stereotype accuracy and IQ. Right. Uh, and all the other stuff is basically nonsense. But those two, and they're the bit, the two bits that make everybody uncomfortable and feel really weird because, mm. ooh, 
you know, is it true that people, Scousers in the late in the late seventies and early eighties, all had enormous hair and wore shell suits? <laughs> yeah, well, just, this is the a thing. A lot of them clearly did. Well, some of them did, and then some of them is enough, and that's the point. You know, you don't need to make an absolutely blanket statement and be offended if you are somehow caught up in said blanket statement. You just have to go, well, you know what? That yeah, there were some people who looked like that, but not all of us did. You know, and then move on. Don't start suing people for saying uh, you're something that you're not. So this, it's interesting that the man's boss was Scots. Yes. I mean, I used to live and work in Scotland. My father was Scottish. And one of the things that Scottish people have or had, I hope it hasn't been crushed out of them, is Scottish banter, Scots banter, Scottish banter. And they can be incredibly funny. And if that is taken from them, that ability to to banter with people, you're, you're losing sort of one of the finest aspects of Scottishness. Yes. And it does seem that so much of the legislation in Scotland and all their hate speech legislation and so on and so forth, it's designed to take away things that actually make Scottish people remarkable, yes. Scottish culture remarkable, mm. which is very sad. It really is. I mean, it's, I, I often tell the story of a, a, a case that happened while I was up there uh, before this latest hate speech uh, law was brought in, uh, in which suddenly um, racism was a thing between England and Scotland. Because, you know, if you got into a fight in a bar and you called somebody the B word, um, mm. that was fine. That was just a bit of a ruck and a bit of a possible breach mm. of the peace and, and all the rest of it. And you might get arrested if somebody got hurt, but basically nobody cared. But there was yeah. one particular case where a guy, shortly before he threw the punch, called the guy an English B. And that was declared mm. to be a racist attack. And suddenly I was yes. going, what's going on? You know, this, the, the two things are exactly the same. He, just because he's called him by a name which happens to be his nationality, now it's racist. Yes. Yeah, and th- this is clearly, I mean, they were trying to stretch Liverpool to be England. Yes. Basically, this guy was. He was trying to stretch the conceptual range of what was being said. And so instead of it, Harry Enfield's joke being one about Liverpool, it became one about supposedly the English, which I think would be news to people in the rest of the country, because it is widely recognised, I think, that that people from Liverpool are distinctive, they are different, their culture is different, they have very distinctive Irish elements in their history, which is why you see those signs, you know, when we're not Liverpool, we're Scouse, yeah. or we're not English, we're Scouse, no, that's because right. of that cultural tradition. Yeah, well, many Liverpudlians very very proudly pronounce that they don't support England as a football national football team uh, because mm. they're from Liverpool, mm. you know, which is slightly curious. So it given... is culturally di- a distinctive place. It is. But interestingly enough, I mean, if you were a lawyer uh, in this particular case, um, rather than claiming that it was racism, you could probably make a better claim, um, and I'm not suggesting people should, that um, Liverpool is a particular area that people sometimes have prejudice against. Yes, but the thing is, it's not covered in the legislation. I no. mean, the huge, the, the your regional identities aren't covered in the legislation. And there are huge problems already with the various identities, protected characteristics, they're mm. called in things like the yes. Equality Act. The system really doesn't seem to be working very well and probably needs to be completely rejigged. Mm. I mean, we've all seen now and we've all heard it's become a national news story about uh, uh, about people misunderstanding the Equality Act and misunderstanding what it's supposed to do on and how those protected characteristics work mm. and i understand that criticism criticism it is legitimate it is fair um organizations have like stonewall have sold the bbc a pup and so on and so forth that's all fine but the problem 
the problem, I think the root is actually in the legislation and in the whole concept of protected classes without being sufficiently clear about what it is you're actually doing and setting out to achieve. Or even if, if those protected classes are the most discriminated against of all. Yes, it may not I, be true. It's just likely to be nonsense. Well, that's the trouble. But it is a sort of rabbit hole that you can end up going down and never really reappearing mm. from, isn't it? Because everybody can say that they should have protected um, uh, status. Well, so yes, every, this is know, the problem that, with offence. And then you just kind of get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you say, you know, if I happen to have been born um, in Hampstead Garden suburb in a particular street, uh, I'm therefore protected by the law because of blah, you know? Well, no one's no one's allowed to make jokes about posh people, kind of thing. If it's <laughs> well, actually, you can. You just That's can't. Public no, school prejudice. No, here's what you can't do: is you can't make jokes about poor people. Then you're really a scum. Uh, oh, that's well, it. yes. You know, then you, you're then you are a real rotter. No, you really can't do that. <laughs> Speaking but of, if Rishi Sunak, if Rishi Sunak has his way, no one will be poor. Well, he's got a very interesting but, way of making people rich. First, he's going to tax the people who have got the money. Uh, and then he's going to give some of that away to people who have already got money. And he's going to try and give some of it to people uh, who don't have as much money. But I'm not quite sure why he will make everybody rich, because at the end of the day, he's using everybody else's money. Other people's money. My old boss in Australia, Senator Lionhelm, used to talk about if when you look at government and you look at the annual budget, you you look at the concept of other people's money and where it's going. Now, he wasn't saying you should never spend other people's money. Um, those American-style taxationist theft arguments just don't fly in Britain and they mm. never will. This is a different country and they don't fly in Australia either. But the point is you do have to try to keep the cost of government to a certain within a certain range and try to grow the economy. So whilst you might finish up spending more on, on the state, as a proportion of to uh, of the total wealth in the economy, it doesn't continue to eat into it, or otherwise, eventually, you you do become the dog. Yes, you know, classic bull terrier mm. image—the dog that chases its own tail and right. tries to eat it in order to to, to feed itself—and right. it's very dangerous. Mm. I mean, people have been joking about Rishi Sunak finding his inner Gordon Bruce. Well, he has—it's a very so Gordon Brown esque economy um, that he's looking to create, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I can see why he's doing it. If you listen to, <coughs> excuse me, if you listen to Matthew Goodwin, who and Stephen Davies, uh, both of whom have written widely, have written entire books on the real the political realignment that Brexit exposed, mm. but it had been going on for some time before that. The winning formula is right on culture and left on the economy. Mm. Not as left as Jeremy Corbyn, the British people aren't that mad, but certainly about as left as Gordon Brown. So you can make that point. And right on culture uh, in terms of immigration, just a general calming down and winding down of rights talk and, and an acknowledgement that people are allowed to say that high no large numbers of refugees or immigrants in their area have, have had a negative effect. People should be allowed to say that. That's a classic example of right on culture, but also acknowledging that there are some other quite right wing cultural attributes mm. that are still very popular. Many people do not realise, for example, that a majority, when they are polled of the British population, still supports the death penalty. Yeah. Now, this is a very unusual and striking difference 
from my own country, where I grew up in Australia. Now, in some respects, Australia is much more conservative than the UK. Immigration policy is a good example. But there hasn't been a majority in Australia in favour of the death penalty since the 70s. No. So this is a British cultural difference, and a very distinctive one. Yes, And Sunak is trying to play into that, or the Conservatives are trying to to play into that. They realise that Labour's coalition is broken mm. because it, it's all these woke young people who, who go to university and it's probably not even all the people who go to university but the publicly visible Labour supporters are woke young people who, who basically have their approach to anybody else from any other political tradition even the SNPs that's racist or that's something phobic <laughs> you know that is literally the response and by the way you're destroying the planet as well and that coali- that group of people are just not going to be friends with people in Doncaster. <laughs> it's just right. not going to work. There might be two. You know, the Venn diagram would be one of those ones where there's an o- a tiny sliver of an overlap and the rest of them. But this is, I mean, this, in, I mean, without wishing to get it into too serious a vein, I mean, all of this feeds into that kind of uh, argument about equality, doesn't it? Because the reason yes. why people are not equal and, and the opportunity is not equal uh, is because human nature does not create equality, really. Human nature. No, it I mean, doesn't. You, you tend to hang out with, with your peers. You tend to hang out with people who are like you more than the, who are not like you. You tend to be more likely to gravitate towards the, the, the same kind of income level of people that, that you have. You know, that kind of thing is, is not in any way, um, you know, sexist, racist or anything. Ist. It just happens to be. It's yes, it's an attempt to a, a lot of these sort of woke ideas are an attempt to fray or to pick at the social fabric and the social organization that people do in their in their lives without thinking. It's just something that you do because you are human. And I suppose the best description of it is actually the old Edmund Burke idea about what is the basis of conservatism. It's a contract between the generations. Yeah. But it's not it's 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 what lawyers would call an implicit contract it's not one where everybody sat down with a piece of paper mm. and agreed on the terms and conditions and had it supervised by solicitors yes which uh, thank, thank god i mean you know I'm, but the one thing you, you and awful. i one of the thing you you and i may not agree on is that there are too many bloody lawyers in the world already we don't want to have <laughs> uh, any more of them thanks very much indeed but let's finish up finally uh, helen just with a, an update from uh, your homeland what's going on in australia the, uh, the the economy has opened has it been a success are people happier it, it's it seems to be a success and um, once again victoria is the laggard still it's behind the other states uh, you're seeing the usual Australian phenomenon of quite authoritarian approaches to it in the sense that the reopening has been delayed for people who are not vaccinated. Uh, and in New South Wales, for example, it's been delayed until the 1st of uh, December, whereas everybody else is, the schools are all back and it's apparently normal. So it's the classic Australian authoritarianism and the use of vaccine mandates, which is a, a long-standing thing in Australia going back to 2015, as I've explained mm. on the Independent Republic before. And probably the biggest loss and the piece I've actually got coming out for Lotus Eaters in the next few days is about Michael Lunig, who's Australia's most famous living cartoonist, has been sacked as an editorial cartoonist from The Age because he did a cartoon, packed the Victorian government's vaccine mandates. Mm. 
and he's still present. It's not a proper cancellation because he's an artist as well as a cartoonist and the newspaper wants to continue the age. This right. is in Melbourne, wants to continue to sell his calendars. He does very pretty calendars like Carl Bovis, the bird mm. photographer, but it's paintings with Michael right. Lunick. But his editorial cartoons where he commented on politics, he's not doing those anymore. They're gone. Oh and it was because he did a cartoon that was a ripoff of, of Tank Man in uh, Tiananmen Square. Mm. And instead of the turret of the tank, it had a picture of a vaccine. Yeah. And, and then it had Michael Lunig's little character that he does in all these cartoons, who is Mr. Curly, standing in the same place as Tank Man in yeah. the cartoon. So if you've seen that very famous photograph, you'll get the reference. Right. And basically he was written off as anti-vax and he's gone. That's shocking, isn't welcome it? To really us, welcome to Australia. I know. Well, welcome to the world. I mean, that's the trouble. Very, very disturbing that. Helen, listen, great to talk to you. Thank you. We've got to, go, we've got to run. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, just before we do anything else, let me just remind you guys that this is uh, Talk Radio with the Veterans Rail Card. If you've served at least a day in the armed forces, you could save a third on rail travel. Visit railcard.co.uk uh, to apply. Now, just before we talk to Mark Bukowski, uh, let's have a look at the Plank of the Week from last week. The new one is actually out this week uh, as well, so you can get your hands on that uh, with Laura Dosworth and Russell Quirk. But last week, uh, we actually made John Lewis the winners. Here's how it went. I'm going to go with my final one. It's John Lewis. Um, I don't know if you've seen the John Lewis uh, commercial for, not Christmas this time, mm. but it's for home insurance. Okay. Um, and it's typically woke, mm -hmm. and it's meant to kind of, you know, uh, make everybody think. Right? Oh, yeah. So it opens with this little boy who, and actually this is not the bit, some people got worked up about this. He's dressed up That's as a girl. That's not the big part of it. Eh? I don't really care about that. I mean, oh, I have, really? I mean, I have a son um, <laughs> wait for the rest who's of the now story. 26 and <laughs> skates in, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a skate park in, in Los Angeles and plays in a rock band. Oh, he's one of... And he's very tattooed yeah. and he's not a girl by any stretch, but his, his sister used to dress him up as a girl yeah, yeah. and make him come downstairs and put lipstick on him and all that. Right, so the kid looks a bit like that. Yes. So that's quite funny. However, the bit yeah. that I was upset by, yep. and other, many people were, this is an ad for home insurance. This kid is literally on the rampage. He's running wild, right? Okay. So he starts throwing things. He knocks a lamp over. He comes down, he finds some paint, tips it up onto the floor, puts his hands in it, sticks it all over the wall. His mother is sitting at the kitchen table looking at him with a mixture of sort of admiration and pride because he's expressing himself. And you're kind of going, if that was my kid, he'd have got a clip around the ear before he got to the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> Right? And he'd be confined to his room for the rest of the day. Yeah. And so he basically trashes the whole house. Yeah, right? but he's expressing himself. And then he's expressing himself. And at the end, it says something like, let life happen let, or something. Yeah. Let life something, yeah, let, let, carry let, on. Let life happen, basically. Yeah, but, I mean, the, one, yeah. the thing that really annoys me about it is that if you rang the insurance company and said, my son has just trashed my house, they'd go, tough. <laughs> I'm afraid that's not covered by our policy. So that was uh, Plank of the Week uh, from the week before this one. Uh, let's talk to Mark Bukowski. Now, Mark, very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. Now, I mean, I, the, the hits just keep on coming for me this week because, um, you know, you have to say that John Lewis have finally agreed with me that it was a misleading advert and they've now pulled it. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it's true that um, advertising is in its own hubristic bubble um, and get carried away with sensationally creative ideas that exist in some creative workshop as they're developing the idea. But when it goes into the real world and someone says, hey, would the insurance company, you know, um, pay up for, for that damage? Mm. Or what are we trying to achieve? What we're seeing in advertising now is no idea about where 
the impact of the commercial goes in a, in 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 an age where everybody can voice their opinion where we have twitter we have thousands of ways of sort of you know expressing ourselves they think that they're still in control they're still in a wheelhouse they're not and uh, i contribute to an article this week in campaign mm. um the uh, the trademark radland uh, saying and i was a lone voice of all these crazy um ad Add people crazy in terms of their um, of their skill set and yeah. their creativity, and nobody thought about the strategic position of where people actually put these ads. Right. That's not my cat, by the way. But um, <laughs> and, and what we're seeing it? now, in, I don't know, it's my friend's cat. Anyway, um, talk about this could be a world first. So we've got your friend's cat appearing on the, on the show. <laughs> I'm not even my cat. My cat's a well-behaved one. So what we're seeing advertising now is, is in the old days what we see these commercials as would be the mood boards yeah. would be we're trying to create this mood yes. Let, let's think about it and it will be signed off and then they'd go away hand it to a group of people to to visualize and create it but yes. also what they're trying to do is create controversy and they don't understand the type of controversy they're trying to create no um but and, shouldn't the they also, PR and the negative chatter they've had but shouldn't they also remember what it is that they're trying to sell because it's all very well being you know highbrow and i remember the, the sort of the heady days of the 80s when you know advertising companies were constantly taking each other over and everybody was making a fortune and the Sachi suddenly got into political uh, advertising and all of that and it was a sort of you know the advertising world was was a, was full of big beasts you know of every of every kind and people who were really out of uh, you know out of control characters and just really fascinating people now it seems as though they haven't they're not doing it because it's an instinct because in those days they'd seem to have an instinct for what it was that they were they were selling but they could still be creative now i mean john lewis is in the process of shutting down half of its shops because, you know, people aren't shopping there anymore. So they've got a problem. And what they need to do, I would have thought, is to reset themselves and, and tell people why they should shop at John Lewis, not kind of try and make, you know, the next viral ad. Well, in, in defence of uh, Adam and Eve, the agency who created this uh, controversial ad that's now been uh, cancelled, is that they, they have reinvented Christmas advertising, you know, particularly through these mawkish sort of tear-jerking ads, you know, um, that surround the Christmas spirit, which mm. ultimately uh, gets people to spend more money they haven't got on stuff that they will they be dumping need. after January. <laughs> but, but, um, but the bottom line is they have created a genre type of advertising, but we don't talk about advertising as we once did, because, you know, if you were buying a spot, you know, in the middle of Coronation Street, when the whole, you know, sort of linear TV audience was there at those sort of moments, you've had huge audiences but of course, adverts don't have the same impact because no. they have to work on multiple channels. They've got to be talked about. Um, and they grasp the necessity of, to a certain extent, creating controversy, creating talkability, but they don't quite understand the cultural shift we're going through. And they're looking at the sort of types of sort of folk that they hang out with and think that reflects the whole nation and it doesn't and that's why we've had such massive fails recently because they don't understand the real issues of the cultural wars and what might be something that is embraced by the the, the collective creatives in shoreditch or soho mm. isn't around in sunderland and salford well that's um, right and also as you say the numbers are simply not there are they you know when people used to pay massive attention to adverts on television uh, when millions and millions of people were watching television shows. Now that doesn't really happen. I mean, they've still got some millions, but not the sort of 20 and, you know, 25 million that they used to get. Well, it's scale. They don't have that impact. They don't have that sort of mass scale that you know you can move the needle if you've actually caught 
the water cooler moment everybody's talking about the ad the night before i mean if you think of some of the great advertising my pal trevor Beatty's famous hello boys ads for wonder bra um you know you couldn't even get you couldn't even get that away now so we've ha- we've seen sort of changes not just in the way that people consume advertising but actually what the creative input is so therefore the the uh, the, the, the the bigger element is who you who, who you're trying to sell and what you're trying to sell and when you're trying to get a message across so many different channels the splinter net as i call it mm. um it, it provides a whole different way of thinking and and you do need you know teams of people not just you know, the advertising agencies who, who sat on on the big budgets you know the sarches you talked about who did those great commercials for british airways or you know british telecom or, or whatever mm. um that, that has changed and that's why you see some of the most glossier ads happening around um big sporting moments particularly if you're if you're watching footy on sky or you're seeing that they're pulling out the stops for those sort of moments and a christmas is a key point of the year where we're seeing great advertising and they're testing that the rest of the time it sort of disappears into mug and it's really talked about only by media circles mm. but you do have to integrate you know the digital planners the pr the marketing folk you have to integrate it and i think that there's a there's a sort of fight really for the high ground of actually who owns the original message and um i don't know if you remember that very great fly on the wall um sort of documentary about iceland and the guy that owned iceland and um he was being it was being pitched out to three or four smart agencies right and um and he 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 done really well by understanding totally his audience was i think it was people like kerry katona or whatever and it was highly successful someone came in with these wild ideas and whatever and he just, you know, he was quickly to dismiss it because there was a brand who totally understood who his market was and he's unashamedly going for it without actually fashion or mm. favour. And that's exactly right, because look at Marks and Spencer's, for example. They've completely lost their way in terms of who their audience is and what they're trying to sell. And while they do quite well in the food department now, almost nobody's buying anything else in the rest of the shop. Well, the, the Marks and Spencer's issue is bigger than just his advertising. I mean, it's, it's oh yeah, no, I know that. But what I'm saying is, is that the, the you know, you know they don't know what to, they don't know how to make the adverts work for them. So they're not sure who they're aiming them at. Well, I, th- I, th- I think generally it, it's a struggle for a lot of brands, and you, you get you get brands who totally understand where they're going and in the direction, and they you know they're not and they're they're not they're not conditioned in that sort of way um but you see other people who who sort of struggle in some sense to actually make it you know make the impact that they want to do and you know advertising is under the cosh in terms of budgets and expenditure and it's it is it's a different structure for how it was when some of the great largesse campaigns you know saw the light of day 20 30 years ago mm. it's a different world yeah it really is and also there are different now sort of marketing strategies aren't there because there'll be adverts on youtube that, that you can see which are not quite the same and when john lewis launches it's i think i'm right in saying this i can't remember if it's exactly the, the way it worked but i think last year did they not launch their christmas ad on youtube before it actually appeared on television yeah they did they did but i mean you know it, you, you have to go 
where the audience is and where your demographic is. So TikTok is incredibly powerful now for brands. Instagram, again, incredibly powerful to actually get your message across. So there are modern channels that you can express your creativity and you can sometimes kick off a bit of controversy which have greater control yeah. as long as you know where you're going. But television, YouTube, everything is under threat. It's, it, it's also finding a one-size-fits-all one idea to stretch across those. Again, if we go back to historical times, you know, you just had to worry about how you you gripped audiences in the cinema or on 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 a tv uh, that's changed and of course you know how will it be captured how will it be you know talked about how will it be shared mm. um and uh, all the, all that consideration goes into the planning of these campaigns and it's it's a it's a difficult world to navigate it really is. And is the marketing spend still there? You know, in the days when, when I was in newspapers, it was still quite a lot of money that was being spent in newspapers. And I suspect that's not the case anymore. But is it still being spent anywhere else? If you've got a very big global campaign and you're a fashion house, or yes, I mean, there are huge amounts of money if, you're, if, if you've got a sport brand or whatever. Um, yes, there are the budgets there, but not across the board, of course. It's just a different world now. There's not the same expenditures. And, and the advertising in, in agencies have felt that. Mm. Um, and they've had to reinvent themselves. I mean, talk to anybody, you know, you know, ad tech now that allows us to serve advertising. You know, every time we serve or something you know we've, we've got some pop-up um coming into our lives that supposedly will tell us if we're on an instagram or a facebook feed you have adverts popping in so you can target people much more effectively by the data they willingly or maybe unwittingly give away mm. that actually allow uh, messages being served to you and of course the audiences now know that we're being marketed to. You know, there are millions of messages sent to us every day and we're much more cynical. Mm. I and mean, I think 20, 30 years ago, we weren't so cynical about advertising. We were aware of it. But now there's more conversations like this about advertising. We think, yeah, you know what? You're just getting trying to get me to spend money. Well, I'm not going to play that right. game. No, exactly right. Mark, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Mark Bukowski there, brand and PR guru uh, on the travails of trying to put advertising campaigns together. The Financial Conduct Authority basically said to John Lewis that they considered the advert to be potentially misleading and it could cause customers to be confused about John Lewis's new home contents insurance, which is pretty much exactly what I said a week ago. So thank you very much indeed for proving me correct once again. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.